This is Steve Kim. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you speak the language of our culture and address questions raised with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hey, everybody. So unless you've been living under a rock, you know that there's the presidential election coming up for our friends to the south of the border. So we're going to talk about that. Just to clarify, we're not a partisan organization. So we're not going to be taking sides in terms of, you know, Republicans, Democrats, vote for this or that. No, we won't be doing that. But we do want to make some general comments about politics and, and the media, so on and so forth. So we're going to get to that. But before we get there, Andy has a few announcements to make. I do have an announcement to make. The first one is the Lord had something special in store in our last podcast, Steve. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and I came out and humbled myself and explained that, listen, the words that come out of my mouth don't always make sense, nor are they always <laughs> accurate. <laughs> and as the Lord would have it last podcast, a dear podcast listener brought it to my attention that you, in fact, had one of those moments last week. I did. I did. As I was editing, I'm like, yep, I can't get around it. I can't edit it out. You know what? Just in all fairness. So so this is this is the truth. You saw it. Mm -hmm. And and what and, and specifically you you say Solomon's Harlem. Harlem. (laughs) (laughs) Steve had an ESL moment. Uh, Yeah, we could call it that, Steve, sure. Uh, (laughs) So the truth is, see, I thought thought you identified this and you were going to edit it, but you thought to yourself, you know what? In solidarity with my dear friend Andy Steiger, (laughs) I'm going to leave it in there just so that he knows that even Steve Kim's not perfect. But that's not the truth. Solidarity. Are you kidding me? I would throw you under the bus any day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the truth comes out. The fact is you saw it there. You were going to edit it out, but you couldn't get it out. No. You couldn't edit it without it being clearly obvious. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure. Be honest with me, Steve. Did you try saying Solomon's harem? And the because vo- listeners might might be surprised by this, but when you're editing a podcast and something comes out not right, and you want to re-record it, you can't re-record it the next day. It no. has to be done that day, and the sooner the better, mm-hmm. because the human voice changes. It changes throughout the day. Changes day to day. Yeah. And it is very clear if you try doing it the next day that yeah. it's not right. And especially for those, you know, who have the ear for it, who are sound engineers or people who have some experience editing these sorts of things, they pick it up right away and it's pretty obvious. So yeah. so as the Lord would have it, Steve, you had to leave it in. And uh, I had to leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, listen, I just want you to understand that we're human. We're human. Even Steve. Even Steve, who I have my suspicions at times is a machine. <laughs> <laughs> We're only human. By the way, Steve, I want to I wanna make note of this because this is interesting. Not only does your voice change throughout the day, but I learned just recently that your height changes throughout the day as well. I did an experiment with my 11-year-old 
so parents, you might want to do this with your, with your kids. It's a great science experiment. So what my wife and I did is right before my son went to bed, we, using a level, marked his height on our wall. Then my son went to bed, and then right as he woke up in the morning, went back to the wall, using a level again, marked his height. Almost an inch difference, Steve. Wow. Now, here's the creepy part. We, we marked his height again midway through the day, and it was darn near right in the middle. Hmm. And, and so what, what you realize is that gravity's pushing down on you, which changes your height throughout the day. And this is why astronauts that go off into space can come back like two inches taller. Right. I heard about that. And the moral of the story is, if you ever need to check your height, Steve... Do it in the morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do it in the morning. Don't ever check your height in the evening. Inch off. Now, you know, this is a good segue talking about, you know, the science of gravity and its effect on, on the body. Let's just use that as our, as our segue into this next part of our conversation. As we get into the election, I've been noticing, Steve, some concerning – I mean, come on. Let's be honest. First of all, there's concerning things all around all around us. And to be honest, our, our world today is so depressing. I am hesitant to want to talk about anything that's concerning, but I think we need to. Hopefully this isn't depressing, but this is this is information that you need to know. That there are concerning aspects of politics that are taking a distinctively scientific position that I think we need to be cautious about. Yeah. Elaborate a little more, because this was not I mean, you you and I kind of touched on this very briefly, but you didn't quite phrase it that way. What do you mean when you say scientific position? Yeah, this is something that probably a lot of listeners aren't aware of. It's been brewing for the last couple months here. Well, actually, I would say it's been brewing for the last like year or so and is incredibly important to be aware of. And I think it's important to be aware of as a voter. And that is that for the first time in the 175-year history of the magazine Scientific America, and we're seeing this as well with other magazines such as Science and Nature, that they are doing something unprecedented. They are stepping into the political arena and endorsing candidates. Specifically, Scientific America has endorsed Joe Biden and specifically Science Magazine has basically called out the Trump administration and is being absolutely overt about taking a political stance. And we're seeing this trend uh, across the board. Yeah, uh, that's that's right. That's something that you mentioned before is that what we're seeing is a lot of these, you know, companies and corporations, magazines, these places that used to kind of remain more or less nonpartisan. It's not even that they're taking a political stance as much as they're now becoming starting to become partisan. And so they side themselves with, okay, we're going to go with the Democratic Party or we're going to go with the Republicans or whatever it might be, right? And the trend that I see, and, and again, like 
I'm not entirely sure that I'm seeing everything here because in a lot of ways, if when we get our news from social media, again, like we talked about before, because of the way algorithm works, it's only going to show you the things that you're already interested in. So likely, you know, my views are skewed on this too. But a lot of the times what I see is all these big companies like say, you know, tech companies like Apple, Google or whatever, they tend to side with the Democratic Party. Right. And then there are others like Chick-fil-A or whatever, you know, that's like, but what you see is companies starting to take sides. But I think what's concerning is that, like you said, like they're starting to do this even more overtly. It used to be sort of they didn't outright say, you know, I'm siding with so and so, but they would hint in that direction. But now it's like there's no pretensions anymore. It's like, yep, we, we side with this candidate or that candidate. You're absolutely right. It's become quite overt. Now, this is something that's interesting because we're st- we've been seeing this already taking place with companies. And like you said, with a number of different companies. And by the way, th- this is an interesting part. Like for those of you that are Apple users, I find it quite fascinating that my Apple news feed which I try to stay away from, but it's this uh, call of the sirens, if you will, that just keeps bringing me back. (laughs) I don't know why. I guess out of just sheer curiosity of what they're going to show me. But it has appeared to me to be incredibly one-sided, what I see that continues to show up on my Apple newsfeed. Now, you have to understand, listeners, that this is something that Steve and I are... We've been speaking about this for many years, and it's something that he and I are very attuned to, Because over the last eight years of doing this podcast, we have been forced (laughs) to uh, read news agencies, all sorts of news. And we receive a variety of different uh, subscriptions and have over the years. And what we have noticed is this this bias towards certain certain political parties, which no surprise here, the Democratic Party. And I'm saying that as somebody who has just been watching the news regularly as a part of this podcast, that has become incredible. What I want to say is it's become incredibly political that has driven me absolutely bonkers because as we've done this podcast, it's been very difficult to know. You, we've had to do a lot of research to figure out, okay, what's actually happening in any given situation because it's being spun with a political agenda. Now, Steve, this is what gets me so concerned when we're seeing these top science journals that are taking political sides and that are becoming incredibly political, that this concerns me with regards to the effect that it's going to have on the science. Because as you read the statements that are coming out by these science journals, they have this this kind of idea that science is the arbiter of all truth, uh, which comes through we could put on the show notes some of the articles we've been we've been reading. They're quite explicit about that. And so they have this, what we've talked about again on the show before, there's this moral inversion that, that begins to take place where people hearing maybe one political side or the other that is saying something that, that they believe to not be scientifically accurate, so that, that gets them upset. And then they want to respond to that, and they begin to take a political side. But in doing so, it can have the reverse effect of manipulating your scientific research. 
And it can do this in a, in a multiplicity of ways that I think are important for us to talk about. By the way, the same thing happens with capitalism. Uh, the same thing happens where, take for example, a company that is doing research. This is why, by the way, on a lot of research journals these days, I've been reading more and more well, where the author will inform you whether or not they have received funds for the scientific research that they have done, and if so, how much and by who. And again, the reason is, is because if you've got grants that are being given, and often if you get that by some sort of corporation that's desiring a specific outcome, now all of a sudden you've created a benefit to reaching certain conclusions in your scientific research. And all I'm arguing, Steve, is that you can have the same exact thing happen where an argument now fits within a political party, and then now that's going to get you better standing with that journal and more likelihood of being published with them than if you take a political side that they are not endorsing, or your research leads to a political side that they're not endorsing. And in fact, in a sense, isn't that what happened with Stalin's Soviet Union, right, where he actually clamped down on certain kinds of scientific research that he didn't want, or uh, I, I forget who it was. There, there was a, a particular science, a scientist whose theories happened to fit with his communist ideology, such that Stalin made that sort of state ideology, and any scientists that disagreed with this theory were locked up, right, imprisoned, and they couldn't do their science, and and so the state controlled which way science can go. If that can happen in a very sort of left-leaning, collectivist kind of an environment, I think something similar can happen in a more, you know, right-wing kind of a capitalist environment as well. It's just that in this case, it's more, you know, who's giving you the money, where is it being funneled and all that kind of stuff, or one might argue, right? I absolutely agree with you because as I'm as I'm reading this, that's exactly where I'm drawn back to. I'm drawn back to where this has brought us historically and the sorts of issues that we've had. Because it's interesting, uh, one article says the title of it was "Scientific Journals Are Denouncing Trump." That's normal, and it's like, <laughs> is that normal? It's interesting to me because we've seen different episodes historically where this sort of thing has taken place, and again, what comes about from it, and it isn't good. For example, like what you're talking about with regards to Stalin Russia, we have a clear-cut case of an individual by the name of Lysenko who was peddling a pseudoscience that fit, though, with the political narrative, and it fit with Stalin's policy. And so, That got endorsed. Meanwhile, the science of the day, the genetics of the day was being suppressed, particularly with regards to genetics and the normal science of of our day, you know, it got suppressed. Why? Because it didn't fit within the policies. And then what happened, like you said, you get 2000 scientists, one of them being Vavlov, who was an incredible biologist that put together an incredible seed bank is put in prison. He ends up dying in prison, right? Because again, his science didn't fit with the government's policy. And now listeners, before we continue a message from our very own Steve Kim. 
Apologetics Canada is a non-profit organization that depends on the financial support of people like you. And there is an exciting giving opportunity that we would like to let you know about. A generous donor has come forward and pledged to match all gifts given to Apologetics Canada before December 31st up to $100,000. This means your gift will have double the impact and we have an opportunity to raise up to $200,000 by the end of the year. This will help us meet new opportunities and expand our work. Now is a fantastic time to partner with us. Consider giving today at apologeticscanada.com forward slash donate. Again, you can give today at apoliticscanada.com forward slash donate. Same gift, double the impact. Partner with us today. And now back to our podcast. Now, we're already seeing similar things happen with regards, because one of the issues now, right now, we're we're right in the midst of this because of COVID-19. So that is creating a lot of frustration between the scientific community and the political community. But that's only one issue that we're facing. Then another one that we're facing is with climate change, where that is creating these different factions. Now, here's I, I want to share with you something, Steve, and I, th- I think I've perhaps shared this on the show before. I'm not 100%. But this one really, I think, is frightening because you can see where this goes, and we've seen this historically go in the same direction. And that is... Last year, I was listening to a lecture by a German professor. I was in a room full of academics, some of the top academics in the country, uh, or from, i sorry, from around the world. And in his lecture, he began to explain how climate change is such an important problem and people are not responding to it as they should, that he argued that we had come to a place, and the irony, by the way, of him being a German professor didn't slip me, that now we're in the place where we were justified to use force. And what he was arguing was basically that people in their ignorance can't figure this thing out for themselves, and so it's kind of like this idea that mercifully what we need to do is intervene and we need to force this issue violently if we need to, but we need to force this issue because it's for the greater good. It gets back to this moral inversion again. You start with something good, want to deal with climate change, but but when the end starts to justify the means, it turns back on itself. And now you can find yourself in the justification of a totalitarian state. Anytime I hear it, I think of C.S. Lewis. Uh, One of the things that he said was, the kinds of tyrants that are the scariest, basically, are the ones who are convinced that what they're doing is good. They're driven by that conviction that what they're doing is right. And so their drive is way greater than anybody who actually knows what they're doing is not good. It's evil. Tyrants who are doing things out of sort of the goodness of their own heart kind of thing, if you will, they're the ones that will do more damage. You're absolutely right, because I think it would surprise a lot of listeners or a lot of people to know 
that that's very much the way people like Hitler and Stalin and others saw themselves operating. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, and Mao as well. They were enforcing their policies again for the greater good. These, you know, people just don't know any better, and for their benefit, you're going to have to force these issues. And that's where this can become so incredibly destructive. And here's here's what I think is so amusing about this all is that these scientific journals need to take a moment of humility because in all the journal and all that I've been reading with this none of them have have admitted or taken time to talk about the violence that was perpetrated in the name of science and the mistakes that have been made in the name of science because it's far too easy to just assume that science always gets it right. Science does not always get it right. And it's constantly a process of fine-tuning in that way. So, I mean, just as an example, the slavery that took place in North America was by and large justified scientifically. And the ways in which sub-Saharan Africans were viewed, it doesn't take much research to see this, by the way. And you can read books like Spectacle and, and others. There's lots out there. The science of the day basically just argued very matter-of-factly that if everything evolved, then some people are going to be more involved than others. This is just this is just Darwinian natural selection. Some are going to be more evolved than others. And so what do you have? Well, you have then the subjugation of some races over others. And I've talked about this before, but it's important to remember that this was this was the subtitle to Darwin's book on natural selection. Yeah, in fact, I remember sending you a couple pictures of some copies of The Origin of Species, because what I find these days is the subtitle of that book is not right on the front cover. You actually have to go past the front cover to the inside title page. That's where you see it, because the full title of On the Origin of Species is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. You read that today and you go, oh my goodness, right? Like that brings up all kinds of racist imageries, which it should, because in a lot of ways, that's how a lot of racists justified their views scientifically. So much so that you have these examples historically where a Congolese man is is brought to New York City. His name's Odabanga, and he's put into a zoo in, in New York, and he shares a cage with an orangutan. Now, when you read that story, you see that it is justified scientifically, right? But, you know, there's one of those moments where, I mean, just take that episode uh, as an example. How is that supposed to play itself out now politically? Now, all of a sudden, that playing itself out politically, you're not going to be okay with that. But what tells you that you're not going to make those same mistakes now? Because see, here's where I get concerned. I get concerned because, again, this happened with regards to in the United States, just to stay focused there, and, and this happened in Canada, with regards to eugenics. Eugenics, this idea of being well-born, again, playing off of this, you know, this sort of Darwinian biology. And again, please understand, I'm not, I'm not you know, attacking science here, but what I'm attacking is we could see where our scientific ideas have led astray in the past and have led to horrendous political actions, such that in the United States and in Canada, as we're well aware, we did terrible things to all sorts of people 
whether they be the um, indigenous peoples of Canada or they be all sorts of people in the United States, for example, with unmarried mothers, the disabled, or people of, a, of another ethnicity. We have seen these policies and where they lead. Now, interestingly enough, Hitler took those policies and then he implemented them politically. And that was their defense too, wasn't it? At the Nuremberg trials was, well, we basically took our cues from you guys in the US, right? So like, what what is with this moral high horsing kind of a thing? Yeah. And in fact, we see this explicitly with people like Hitler, that he got his ideas out of the US, particularly different books that were coming out of the US. One in particular was The Passing of the Great Race by Madison Grant. This was a book, by the way, that was read by US presidents, scientists, and became a popular bestseller of the day, and which he just took and put into practice, which when you look at the activities that that he did, such as creating ghettos for the Jews, this is something that he gets play-by-play play right out of this book. Now, isn't that interesting? That comes right off the back, right? They talk about how this is a book that was being engaged with politically and scientifically. And through that sort of interplay is what led to a lot of the horrendous activities that took place in North America and in Europe that would play itself out in terrible ways. So, so I guess, Steve, what I'm trying to say is, is as I've read historically, this is why I get so concerned when I start to see this sort of thing now explicitly taking place. Yeah, and just to add a couple more quick examples to what you were talking about, too. Some of these things are, in a sense, still playing out. For example, when you were talking about, you know, unmarried mothers and there are all these like undesirable people that need to be eliminated, you know, like those kinds of things. Margaret Sanger was one such person, right? And she was the founder of what we now know today as Planned Parenthood. And in a lot of ways that is still going on today, not explicitly as eugenics, but the effect of that is people come to the point where they get to decide whether this unborn is desirable to them or not. So, for example, unborn babies with birth defects, they are way more exposed to the risk of being aborted for no other reason than that they are disabled in some some way that the parents don't want, right? So, this is actually really, in essence, no different than eugenics. And lest we think in Canada that we are better, Tommy Douglas, who was one time, I think he was the seventh premier of Saskatchewan. He was, for a while there, he was the leader of the New Democratic Party. It was his cabinet that introduced the single-payer universal healthcare system that we enjoy in Canada today. And he was a Baptist minister, and guess what? He was also a eugenicist. He's got volumes written on how, you know, there are, yeah, there are sort of families that are subpar, that shouldn't be multiplying to reduce suffering, those kinds of things. And so, it, it, this is the concern. I, I think what we see is we actually have to be a little bit more precise, I guess, because I heard you say, well, science is not perfect and things like that. And I agree with you, but I think what you mean to say is it's actually the scientists, 
science is not an autonomous thing, right? It's not, it's not like it's got its own free will and it does whatever it wants to, but it's the scientists and the public that follow them or people that are in more influential places in society like politicians or whatever that take these ideas and just run with it. And so often when people say science says this, science says that, I actually kind of pause them and say, hang on a second, I think what you mean to say is scientists say this because they have to interpret the data. And in that that human process, all kinds of errors can creep in because, well, we're not perfect, right? And we, and you see sometimes the same kind of data being interpreted differently, those kinds of things. And so science in a real way is always provisional. It's supposed to be anyway, but a lot of people take this sort of a scientistic view where, you know, it's only through science that we get truth or at least the most reliable truth. And if you disagree with it, you are somehow subpar and your view has to be quashed even at the cost of using force on you to kind of conform to the current scientific orthodoxy. So what's happening then, Steve, that I think people just need to be aware of is there is a fight for power that's currently taking place, where on the one hand, you got science that's fighting for power, because notice how totalitarian that is. This is the truth, right? And nothing nothing else is allowed, right? Because it can become that way. And not saying that it always is, right? But it can become that way, and it can be used in that way. But then also we have power from a legal perspective that can be also very totalitarian. And this is the truth. This is the way that it is. And you get that mix that's happening politically that can become quite dangerous. And I, and I think that this is important for people to be aware of as they go to the polls, that they need to be aware of as we start to see our society sadly fractured more and more, that this division is taking place again scientifically overtly that's concerning. Now, I want to read something for you, Steve, that I think should truly disturb people. It disturbed me. Wired Magazine did a interview with the chief editor at Science. So, Wired Magazine is interviewing Thorpe. And Thorpe is talking about how the Trump administration has dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic. And In this interview, he says this with regards to how it's been been dealt with and how the president has talked about COVID-19. He says, quote, that it may be the most shameful moment in the history of U.S. science policy. I want you just to think about that for a moment. That this... With what's happening with COVID-19 may be the most shameful moment in the U.S. history of science policy. Do you know what that is? That is a level of blindness that is truly scary. As we just talked about, it was science policy that drove the slavery, the racism of slavery here in North America. It directly correlated. See, because by the way, a lot of people don't realize this. Before the science came on the on the scene, all we had were political arguments from Aristotle to support slavery. But as soon as Darwinian naturalism came on the scene, it provided a scientific argument for it. That then led into eugenics, as we just talked about. So to think 
that what happened with slavery and with what happened with eugenics here in North America and globally, that somehow what's happening with the COVID pandemic is worse? That is truly amazing. And this is one of those cases where maybe one cause of this is just the historical short-sightedness, right? That they didn't fully consider the history of policies based on the science of the day. Or, this is probably a combination of both, is that they just don't like this particular administration and whatever you can do to smear this administration, you just say it, right? And so you say, this is the worst thing, right? Because you want to put the worst thing on the administration that you don't like. Whether it's Republican or Democrat, I, I don't care, but because it's not like either side is immune to this, but... And, and I guess that's why we're bringing it up. We're bringing it up because it is so critical in our day and age today where it's easy to have a historical short-sightedness, to have a whitewashed view of what has taken place historically and what's taking place now that we need to be cautious of. All right, let's wrap up there. Thanks for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about. Godspeed, our American friends.